but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. All right, everyone, and welcome back into another installment of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on the 14th of October. I'm CJ Baumgartner, and we're breaking all that is breaking down all that is Minnesota sports here for today. And let's dive right in talking about the Minnesota Vikings. And the big news with them has been the injury report outside of uh, after their practice yesterday. And I'll try and see if there's a more recent one. But yesterday's injury report did not look good at all for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, yesterday's injury report just featured star player after star player um, not practicing yesterday. And it guys like Jefferson, guys like Thielen, C.J. Hamm, uh, you know, Harrison Smith and Everson Griffin had some vet days, but Anthony Barr was back on the injury report. And... Now, obviously, one hasn't been released for today quite yet, but uh, it's still not great. Um, So here's the injury report from Wednesday. The the did not participate, Ben Ellison, Alexander Madison, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Anthony Barr, Michael Pierce, uh, Amir Smith-Marset was limited in participation. Also limited limited participant was C.J. Hamm, Dalvin Cook, Harrison Smith, and Nick Vigil. Now, Harrison Smith was another uh, non-injury related vet resting day. Um, so that's fine. Christian McCaffrey still, uh, there's uh, really a, a slim chance that he'll play today. Now, the Panthers have updated their injury report. Christian McCaffrey did not participate in practice on Thursday. Um, so that's something to keep in mind uh, if he'll play or not. Shaq Thompson also didn't participate in practice today for the Panthers either. But the Vikings, uh, they're pretty banged up right now, and this is not the ideal time because this is a must-win game on Sunday. And we've talked about the Browns win is a must-win game. All the games are must-win. And, you know, is it old? Probably. But when the Vikings back themselves into a corner by going 0-2 early in the year and with a tough, tough part of their schedule coming up after the bye week after Sunday, uh, it's – Pretty important to say that you need to get all the wins you can now because starting one and two, starting one and three, put yourself in such a bad position to make a run. It basically set you, you basically used up all of your margin for error in the first month of the season, and now you have to play darn near perfect football the rest of the way through if you want a chance to really make something this season. I'm not even just talking about getting into the playoffs to a certain extent, because it's more. The Vikings team has to do more than get into the playoffs. We know Zimmer is capable of leading a team into the playoffs, but can Zimmer build back a team like 2017 that can make noise? And like we've talked about before, they're really kind of trying to cut corners to get there, and it hasn't been paying off, and it probably won't. And we'll just kind of have to monitor it and see how it goes. But, I mean, it's just everybody's getting hurt. And some of it could be resting like they did with Everson Griffin and like they did with uh, with Harrison Smith. But at the same time, I mean, these guys are hurt. And if they can just get through this weekend of the bye week, it'll be fine. But the problem is there are too many players. If it's like maybe you miss Thielen for a week or Jefferson, Cook, 
you know, even Cook and Madison, it's like it's not ideal, but we can try and get through it for a week. Um, that's going to be pretty tough. That's going to be some pretty tough sledding for the Vikings if they are, and again, this all could change based on new updates, but if they have to go without Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Anthony Barr, Michael Pierce, and both Madison and Smith, or Madison and Cook, it's, there's no, there's no coming back from that. You're going to lose that game. You will have no running backs. Your starting run, running back will be, what, Amir Abdullah? And your starting wide receiver will be a combination of K.J. Osborne, who's good as a number three wide receiver, and D.D. Westbrook. I mean, it's, you're just going to leave yourself bare at that point. And it's not even a depth issue. It's just everybody just got hurt. Most teams don't have a third running back that's starting capability. I don't know if any team does, really. So the Vikings, now I'm sure a few of these guys will turn around and they'll end up playing. But if they're also playing banged up, is how how is that going to impact them on Sunday against Carolina? That's going to be another interesting thing to see on Sunday when you watch the game. If Adam Thielen is another did not participate today, but he ends up playing on Sunday in Carolina and he doesn't have a great game or maybe he's not getting the separation he wanted or he's not getting as many he's not getting as many passes thrown his way is it because of uh is he banged up is it because of the knee in, or excuse me the foot injury that's keeping him out is it Justin Jefferson with the ankle is it Barr with the knee whatever and just Anthony Barr just is frustrating me. He's so frustrating because we know how good Anthony Barr can be. But the issue is that Barr isn't staying on the field anymore. Before it was like, hey, is Barr as productive as you want? Is it a mistake to sign a guy who hasn't who has potential but isn't productive, but also is productive? I mean Anthony Barr is just kind of an enigma, but with him playing as little as he has, only one game so far this season. You'd think, okay, well, forget Barr. But then the Vikings really don't have a good backup plan behind Barr. And what I mean by that is Nick Vigil is serviceable, but he's kind of, and we talked about it with Rashad Hill yesterday, he's serviceable as a backup, can fill in for a little bit. But if you expect him to start multiple games, and especially multiple games in a row, it's going to open up some problems for your team. Anthony Barr has only played in one game so far this season, and he's already hurt again. And I believe it's the same thing. It was a knee injury. That's what kept him out through most of the preseason. All of it. That's what kept him out. And now he's hurt again. And there's just some plays, though, when you watch Anthony Barr when he was playing. He's able to run a guy down in the flat, a running back wide open. He's able to make plays. He's the leader of the defense. He's calling the plays. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's valuable to this team. And that's why when he's not there, it definitely hurts the team. I know that some people think we're better without Barr. He's overrated, whatever. But when he's not on the defense, they do suffer. For as flawed as Barr can be at times, he still is a good defender that the Vikings need if they're going to want to actually be a good defense and if they're actually going to want to make something of this season. But that's the hard part. The sneaky, most impactful injury isn't Adam Thielen. It isn't Justin Jefferson, although they are impactful. The one that people kind of forget is Anthony Barr, and it's forgetful because he hasn't played much of the season. But Anthony Barr being in the lineup does make this defense better, even in minor ways and kind of patches holes here and there. It's not going to game change him, but you can definitely tell when Anthony Barr is and isn't in the lineup. And that's just a testament to him, and having him not in the lineup is not ideal.
So if the Vikings can somehow manage their way to get through this, they get to the bye week, they can rest up, that's the upside. The downside is if they're not able to fix everything, if they're hurt and they aren't able to overcome that, they're in not in great shape. Two and four going into the bye. Again, we've talked about this. Three and three at the bye week is the goal. You are two and three right now. You have Carolina. You got to go on the road to Carolina. If you can somehow beat them, you're three and three. But if you're two and four, you go to the bye. Cowboys, Sunday Night Football, at Ravens, at Chargers, Packers, at 49ers. You know, it's. And then you have the Steelers coming up as well. You still have the Rams. They're. I mean, it's not as easy as, you know, the last year where they played a bunch of bad teams. They played the Panthers when they were on a down year. They played, you know, they should have beat the Cowboys, but they played the Jaguars. They played, you know, just some of these teams that were just down. And that's really kind of what opened the door. They got to play the Lions a couple times. They got to do all this kind of stuff. They got to take advantage of a Bears team that was in the middle of the season, and they looked like they were about to implode. They just kind of got some wins at the right time and it kind of pushed them forward. But how repeatable is that? And how much are they going to be able to replicate that? And the answer is probably not a lot. If they can't get to three and three, they're done. I mean, there's just no way to overcome it. You're essentially going to have to go essentially basically a three losses the rest of the year. And you'll be lucky if you can go through this Cowboys, Ravens, Chargers, Packers stretch, you know, two and two. If you can get to five and five by then, I mean, the goal is to get to nine wins, I think. I think nine wins gets you in the playoffs in a seven-team NFC at this point. So you have to get seven more. And I think that there's the potential to do it, but you're going to have to beat some good teams, and you're going to have to prove that you can beat good teams. And can the Vikings do that? We will see. Another thing, too, and this is an interesting conversation that got brought up, was the kicker kickers. I think Daniel Jeremiah uh, on Twitter He's an NFL scout, uh, kind of one of the higher ones up at NFL Network. Uh, he was saying, how many teams right now would trade high draft picks for a valuable kicker? And a lot of Vikings people were like, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of what are we going to give up? How many first-round picks are we giving up? How many to get a kicker, to get a great kicker, a generational kicker where you never have to worry? Essentially, would you trade a first-round pick for Justin Tucker? Because, and here's the devil, again, it's a lot for a kicker. But here's the thing. Justin Tucker is a a once-in-a-generational kicker, and he's worth points to your team because if your team misses two field goals a game, that's six points he gave up, that's a big swing. And when you have a guy who's reliable, it makes planning for end-of-game situations better. It makes all this kind of stuff better. Now, again, the, the Vikings aren't trying to trade for Justin Tucker, obviously. And they kind of be dumb to do so because, again, you'd have to give up a lot for him and trading for a kicker and, eh, you know, whatever. And just the Vikings curse, it'll probably just ruin him more than anything. But the Vikings with kicking are uh, even people, again, to that Daniel Jeremiah tweet, even people outside of Minnesota sports were like, oh, the Vikings are a team that would do that. The Vikings need to do that because they just, again, have the worst luck with kicking. But here's the thing about kickers themselves. Kickers are a weird and unexplainable mess. They're complex. Kickers aren't just good and bad. Kickers are streaky. Kickers are, I'm going to go a whole season, and I'm going to make every field goal, and then at the end of the year, I'm going to miss one, a chip shot. 
and cost my team in the NFC Championship game. Cough, cough, Gary Anderson. Or you're going to have the seasons where it's like Blair Walsh. Like, when I am on my game, I am the best kicker in the NFL. I have one of the best legs. I am accurate, all this kind of stuff. But when I am when I miss a chip shot, my mental game, I think I get inside my own head. I do all this kind of stuff. I self-sabotage myself unintentionally, and now I'm a head case, and now I'm missing short kicks, and now I can't make PATs, and now I'm doing this and that and this and that. And that's when the wheels fall off, and the good kickers, and I talked about this yesterday, Mason Crosby, the good kickers are able to say, I missed five kicks today. Well, I'm going to go try and make one. And Blair Walsh goes out there, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss my sixth. And it's that mental attitude. Kicking has to be the most mental attitude because your sample sizes on the field are so small. Tom Brady throws two interceptions in a game. You know, whatever. He can go back out there and throw again. You miss two field goals, well, the next time you get rolled out there, it's probably the end of the game or in a big situation. So it's just you're not on the field as much. Your sample sizes are smaller, and it's like, in a way, it's like offensive linemen where people know who you are more if you're a bad kicker than if you're a good kicker. Outside of Justin Tucker, how many good kickers can you name off the top of your head? Not a lot. How many bad kickers can you name? The Cody Parkies, the Blair Walshes, the, you know, just all this kind of stuff. The Robert Blankenships or the, you know, whatever you want to, the Roberto Aguayos. I mean, just all the kind of names for kickers. Kickers are an enigma, and that's why the Raiders took Sebastian Janikowski in the first round or whatever it was they did. I mean, he was with the team forever. He was a probably Hall of Fame kicker. Was he worth a first-round pick? No. But sometimes, when the Vikings fans look at their kicking situation and think, hey, could I? Could we just get a first-round pick to get an all-pro kicker? Sure. Now, the problem is, the Bucks, the Buccaneers, they took a kicker in the second round. How'd that work out for them? Because kickers are a mess. He was the most accurate kicker in college football history, Aguayo was. And he was terrible in the NFL. And that just goes to show you that, you know, it really is, uh, kicking is just such a mental game. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to realize with the NFL kickers, is that everything is mental with these guys. All right, well, we're going to move on here to the Twins. But before I end my Vikings time here. I'm going to tease a little bit of what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. Uh, the Vikings have been one of the most pass-happy teams in the NFL this season. They've actually been in the top 10, and they've been a perfect 60-40 ratio on running and passing. They've passed more than they've ran, uh, but they're 20th in points scored. So we're going to talk a little bit about just kind of that breakdown and talk a little bit about what the offense needs to do to capitalize on how aggressive they are, because I do like how aggressive they are. And I've said that a few, a uh, couple weeks ago. I said the Vikings are kind of becoming more of an offensive team. They need to lean into that. So we're going to break that down. We're going to talk about it more tomorrow and really uh, dive deep into it. So with that, let's move on to the Minnesota Twins. And with the Twins, we are going to left field as part of our uh, retrospect. Go. I don't know what the right word is for it, but we're talking Twins here. And we're going through every single position and just talking about how do we feel about each Minnesota Twins position. And here's the thing that I feel about left field and just the outfield in general. It is a logjam of prospects. There are so many different players who could take some of these spots. You have Larnick, who is the most probable guy to be in left field. He's been left field most of his minor league career. Yeah, he played a little bit in right as well, but he's mainly been in left field. I think the Twins see him as a left fielder because of Kepler and Wright, 
and and we'll talk about Kepler's long-term future, you know, eventually when we get over to right field. But staying left field here, Trevor Larnick seems to be the left fielder of the future. It seems like it's his job to lose. Now, he got sent down last season, but that was partially because he was struggling and the team wasn't any good. And they're like, you know what, St. Paul's competitive. Maybe let's send him down to St. Paul, get his confidence back, be on a more competitive team, and just kind of see how it goes for him. And that stinks because he doesn't get the big league at-bats that are so crucial in your development stage. But what he does get is he gets more minor league at-bats. He gets more consistent playing time, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's on a better team in terms of their league. The St. Paul Saints were competing for a playoff spot towards the end of the season. They didn't get it, but they were still in the hunt. I think it is Larnick's job to lose. But don't forget, there are some other names that we could throw out here. Uh, you know, Jake Cave, everybody's fan favorite, Jake Cave. Uh, I don't, again, he's not an option. But, I mean, there could be a guy the Twins roll out there. They did it this season. They found Kyle Garlick, you know, and I remember at the time I said, hey, the Twins got some depth. Maybe this can work if they can just, you know, have Cave and uh, Garlick just hold on for like a month and Kirilov will get up there and it'll all be solved, guys. And I was wrong. The Twins' depth was a little overplayed and they, it showed, which means that sometimes you just got to let your talented guys get out there and let them make plays. And that's why Larnick should start the season with the major league level penciled in as the starting left fielder. But some other prospects they could go towards. They could go to Brent Rooker. We talked about him as a potential DH, as maybe a first baseman. But Brent Rooker is kind of a guy who doesn't really have a home. He's a guy that's trying to figure out, the Twins are trying to figure out, really, where can this guy fit into our future plans? The Twins like his bat. If they didn't like his bat, they would have traded him for something a long time ago. They like him as a player. They don't want to get rid of him. But they have to find a home for him. And with him on defense, he's just very limited. He's a very limited outfielder. He doesn't really – you can just kind of tell with guys who look like outfielders and who don't. Brent Rooker, and I'm not saying he's a bad outfielder, but he just doesn't look like a guy that can play outfield long into his major league career. So where is he going to go? He can play left field for now. Maybe you do it until Larnick proves to take over the spot. I, I just don't think Brent Rooker is your ideal left fielder of the future. Alex Kirilov? Maybe they decide to go with Miguel Sano at first base just while he's still under contract, and then they just push Kirloff into left field and just work him in at first base enough to keep him uh, busy with it and then eventually transition it to him when Sano, if Sano leaves. Uh, I believe his contract's up after next season. So there's that. You could put Kirloff in left field. I mean, that was what people thought initially was the plan until Miguel Sano fell off the face of the earth in the early part of the season, and Kirloff proved to be a talented uh, defensive first baseman, which isn't insanely hard, especially when you're comparing yourself to Sano, who's, you know, obviously gifted as a hitter. And I'm not, I'm not taking a shot his way or anything. I'm just saying he's just, when you compare him to Kirilov, Kirilov is more athletic. Um, it's not even a weight thing. It's just Kirilov just is more slender. He seems like he knows what he's doing more. And Sano just is a bigger guy. He's taller, he's bulkier, all that kind of stuff. So I think that Kirilov, Rooker, Jay Cave are some guys. You could get really creative with it if you feel comfortable with Austin Martin or Royce Lewis, not maybe this year, but in the future, to put them in left field if maybe the Twins go out and get that big-name shortstop and and they trade Buxton and then they move that uh, they move one of the prospects to center and they move the other one to left. and you know, Or maybe they keep Buxton and they keep one of the guys at short and they move somebody to left field. I think they probably move more... Uh, they probably move, I think, Lewis more to left field. I think he's got a better arm uh, than Austin Martin. But, again, I don't really have the stats in front of me to justify that. But 
kind of going off the eyeball, going off kind of what I've heard people saying kind of offhand. Um, but still, Austin Martin or Royce Lewis, are, they're, I mean, they're the Twins' two top prospects. And once they're ready, the Twins are going to make room for them on the roster somewhere. But you got to make sure that it's in the right spot. I just don't think the right spot is the left field for them. I think this job is handed to Brent Rook, or to, uh, this job is handed to Trevor Larnick on a silver platter because this is one that the Twins are going to address with the young guys. Shortstop is a very important position. You need to make sure you have a solid veteran in there. You're not going to throw in a rookie unless you're very – you're not going to throw in the rookie Royce Lewis or the rookie Austin Martin until you are guaranteed that they're ready to go. Shortstop is a position you do not mess with, and the Twins learned that this offseason. You make sure whoever you get to play at shortstop is pretty dang good, and they need to figure out that position long-term with uh, Lewis and – or Lewis and – uh, Martin at shortstop, but in terms of left field, they got to figure it out too. They have to figure out who they really want to be that left fielder of the future. I think it's just, I think it's on a silver platter for Larnick. I really do. I think there's no real competition. I think he just basically has to show up and be a capable MLB hitter, which he can be. He will be. He's just got to get more at bats under his belt. So I think that uh, Trevor Larnick is going to be the long term left fielder for the Minnesota Twins. I think it's just a matter of when, not if, and I think he'll start the year with the Minnesota Twins at Target Field in left field. So one last thing I want to talk about with the Twins here is that the Twins, by the way, the Giants and the Red Sox, San Francisco Giants, Boston Red Sox, they are still in the MLB playoffs. The Red Sox are in the ALCS, the AL Championship Series. They're one series away from the World Series. The Giants are one win away from the championship series. They have to fight off the 100-plus win Dodgers or whatever it was. And the Giants, oh yeah, by the way, won 107 games. That is so impressive, especially for a team that came out of nowhere this season. And that's kind of the whole point of this of what we're talking about here with the Giants and the Red Sox. The Giants and the Red Sox, respectively, came out of nowhere this season to be two of the top teams in baseball. And you know what? According to Tom Fromming, Twins Daily, the Twins spent more money on free agents than the Giants and the Red Sox this season, which I think proves, and I know Twins fans, and I know this isn't an apples-to-apples apples comparison, so I don't want to make guys seem, I don't, I'm not calling out people who want ownership to spend more. I want ownership to spend more too. I want ownership to invest more in this team because I think that if they do, that they will be good, and I think you can get free agents to come here for the right price. But... You just don't throw money at free agents and think that that's going to fix your team. That's what San Diego does. And San Diego has not had – they didn't have good luck this season. They were the off-season champs. The Chicago White Sox a couple of years ago were the off-season champs. There are uh, – you know, there's just team after team. Uh, the Angels, they're always the off-season champs. They bring in Otani. They bring in Rendon. They bring in this. They bring in that. And – then it still ends up that they don't even make the playoffs. The teams that spend the most money, three only th I think it was three of the top five teams that spend the most money didn't make the playoffs this season. Spending money doesn't guarantee your team makes the playoffs. Spending money gives your chance gives your team a chance with better players, but spending money just doesn't guarantee your team is going to make the postseason. And it's just it's more who you get that matters. It is who you bring in, and the plan that you have. The Twins had a plan with bringing in Josh Donaldson. They, were, they weren't they were spending money just because they're like, oh my gosh, we got to make a splash. 
They were like, let's go after Zach Wheeler and these top arms. We're not going to land them. Okay, let's pivot. Let's pivot to Josh Donaldson. We have a plan. You can tell because of how fast the Twins pivoted from Wheeler to Donaldson that there was a plan that, okay, if we don't land these guys, we're going to go to Donaldson. And you know what? That's good. That The Twins are run by smart people. I know they had a bad offseason. We'll get to that in a second. But they are run by smart people. You don't just throw money at free agents. You have a plan. And the Twins did have a plan when it came to signing Josh Donaldson. Their initial plan was Zach Wheeler. That fell through. So they pivoted and they were ready. And they were all ready to go with an offer and with their pitch and everything. So that's the thing. The Twins just need to have a plan. And that's what I think Falvey and Levine are doing right now. I think they will... Whether it works or not, they have a plan. They are drafting a plan. Who are the guys we want to go after? If these guys fail, what's our backup plan? Let's make sure that our backup plan is a backup plan. And no matter what scenario ends up happening, we have contingencies ready and we have resources in place to where whatever plan we need to follow, that we can execute it as soon as possible. And the Twins were able to do that with Josh Donaldson, by the way, in signing. And I think when you look at the Twins, there's almost no way that the Twins front office can have as bad of an offseason as they did last year. And I think, and the reason why I bring up the Giants and the Red Sox, didn't over, they didn't spend a lot of money, and they still were able to bring in quality free agents, keep keep in mind. The Red Sox brought in Kiki Hernandez, and they at the time they brought in Marwin Gonzalez. I know he doesn't play for him, but still, they brought in a couple of these guys. And the thing was, is they relied more on the talent from within their organization. Look at the Yankees. The Yankees were a team that wheeled and deal. They traded for Gallo and Rizzo and, and all these kind of guys and and everything. Rufnet Odor. And they got the whole lineup together and it, and it flopped. It didn't work. Because you can't just, and again, learning this with Mike Zimmer in the defense, you can't just sign everybody out there to plug all your holes and imagine them to work out. You have to build this with smart, with calculated moves. And that's the thing. It's not about spending money. It's about how you spend the money. And that's not a case to say that the Twins shouldn't spend money or they shouldn't give out big contracts. They should when they're a calculated risk. The Angels, and sometimes having too much money makes this happen to you, the Angels can throw $300 million contracts out to Albert Pujols and Mike Trout because they're the Angels. They live in, they're in Los Angeles. They can make more money. The Twins have to be more calculated when they're signing for agents so they can make the most out of their money. And I think there's almost no way the Twins can have as bad of an offseason as they did last year. And I think that that is a sign that shows that if they're aggressive in free agency and maybe not necessarily going after the Trevor Stories and the uh, the Seegers and whatnot, staying away from the big guys and still finding quality impact free agents. Remember, Nelson Cruz wasn't a big free agent. He wasn't a big-time signing. Everybody wasn't like, oh my gosh, Nelson Cruz, this totally shifts the balance of power in the AL Central. No, Nelson Cruz was a it was a nice signing, who ended up being a very big impact signing. And it's guys like that. Alexander Colome was a big signing. The Twins paid him $6 million, which the Twins don't like to do. They don't like to give out big money to bullpen arms, and the reason why is sometimes they blow up on you, and that's what Colome did. So the Twins are going to be better this offseason. They have a plan. And there's no way that that plan can be worse than the one that they rolled out last season. So only where to go is up in terms of talent acquisition for the Twins. All right, let's move on to the Minnesota Wild here. Talking about uh, Jared Spurgeon here as the captain. Uh, Felino, Dumba as the alternatives. They're leading this new wave of Minnesota Wild team. And there was an article in the Pioneer Press 
talking about this new culture that the Wild were bringing in. And this piggybacks off of what we talked about yesterday with the Wild. We talked about how management are trying to change the culture that the Wild have had. The Wild have had one of the worst locker rooms in the last eight years in the NHL. They've just been bad. And that's not to say that anybody was like criminal or nobody was, you know, harassing. It's just the environment was not good. It didn't feel productive. Now, there's nothing illegal going on, nothing, you know, nothing that would get anybody fired, although we got a few coaches fired for not winning because of said culture. But it, it basically boiled down to, and people notice this, if you have a job and you go to a workplace where like, man, this everybody's, everybody's at each other's throats and it's not, you know, nothing, nobody's doing anything illegal, nobody's doing anything criminal, it's just, you know, it's just not good. I feel like I'm not being productive because of how just messy everything is at work. And that was essentially what it was like for the Minnesota Wild. And Bill Guerin's big job was to try and turn that around. And now he has the young core of players. It's a perfect time to do just that. And the, the thing is, though, is the ownership and the GM and even the coach can say what they want. But hockey is one of those sports where the players really kind of have to keep themselves in check as well. And that's why I said Jared Spurgeon's the captain now. Felino and Dumba are the alternatives. And I think it can work. I think it can work because from the players' players' perspective, they need to kind of run the show. And how are these guys doing, going to do when before Parisi and Suter were kind of and just kind of that cohort? I'm not going to lump. I'm not going to say just those two entirely because Koivu was also the captain and everything else. So just that old guard more that kind of was highlighted by Parisi and Suter was terrible. That's why the team's lows would feel so low and it felt like everything was about to collapse because the culture was so bad and it was started by the players. And the players, you know, it was kind of the, it was just a very old school locker room and old school doesn't mean bad. It was just, it was very much, maybe not even old school, but very clicky. And that's the thing. You think that high school goes away and you think some of these issues go away, but no, they, sometimes they just manifest in new ways. And the wild locker room was about as clicky as a high school lunchroom. And that was the problem with the Minnesota Wild. So to get them better, they need to kind of reset the culture. And Everson's doing his part by getting out, plucking out some of the bad eggs. But now it's up to the people left to try and fix it. And Jared Spurgeon, the captain. Felino Dumba is the alternatives. And this was an interesting quote by Felino in that Pioneer Press article. And uh, reading it for you here in full, it says, quote, It's part of holding each other accountable, Felino said. You do that by including everyone. If guys are able to be themselves and guys feel comfortable in the locker room, the teams are going to be better for it. It's not the old school mentality anymore where there's a pecking order, unquote. And that there, and I don't think it was meant to be a jab. I don't think it was meant to be a full-on jab at Parisi, Suter, Koivu, that old guard. I think it was more just saying, look, we did this before and it didn't work. And if we want to be better, we have to learn why it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Well, our locker room was crappy. How can we fix that? How can we make that better? And that's the thing. You make it more inclusion. You don't make guys feel like they're singled out or like, oh my gosh, I can't talk to these, I can't talk to these veteran players. These guys are out of my social status or out of my whatever in the locker room. I'm just the rookie. I can't do whatever. And I think the Wild making it more of a buddy buddy culture. And I say culture a lot. And again, culture can get overrated. So I'm not trying to upplay this a lot, but I'm trying to say that it still does matter. Because workplace culture doesn't always matter. There have been organizations that have gotten by that have been chaotic and dysfunctional, and they've gotten results, and they've kind of been fine, but they always implode. That's the thing. 
Culture does matter a little bit. To pretend that it doesn't have an impact is blind. Is just being blind to a situation. Now, it's not the be-all, end-all. The Wild could have, they all could be best friends and they could lose 50 games this year. That, you know, it's not to say that it immediately means success. It's not to say that they're going to be the best team in the NHL because they're all friends now. That doesn't always help. And sometimes you need a competitive locker room. Sometimes you need those jerks, whatever, to kind of push people. You know, you're not trying to be too soft. But I think the Wild are just trying to soften up the locker room a little bit. They're trying to just work out the problems that they had before. And I think that Felino quote in the last sentence saying it's not the old school mentality anymore where there's a pecking order. And that's kind of the point is there was before. Parisi, Suter, Koivu, and again, not themselves necessarily doing it, but just the culture of these guys are the leaders, they're the veterans, these are guys that are untouchable, you can't call them out, all that kind of stuff. And it did lead to some rifts, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see as this wild season goes on, when the lows happen in the wild season, if they're how are they able to pick themselves up? Is there reports of locker room infighting like there has been for a lot of the last eight seasons? And to see if that continues now with this new guard and these new leadership crew coming in. Because Gurren and Evison can only do, uh, they can only go so far. They can only do what they want so far. But it's going to come down to the players to have to police themselves a little bit. All right, tomorrow with the Wild 2, we're also going to talk about the expectations for Matt Dumba. So stay tuned for that. But talking with the Minnesota Timberwolves now here, uh, one thing I want to mention is... Ben Simmons, and this was announced earlier in the week, but Ben Simmons reported to training camp, by the way. He is in Philadelphia, so for all those hopes that he was holding out, and I said this last week when there was that report that said Simmons was getting impacted by getting fined all that money, 300000 a day or whatever it was, for missing practice. That starts to affect you when you see those game checks flying away or the practice checks or whatever. You have to show up, and it also doesn't look good when you're not in shape. And the more the clock, the players don't benefit the longer the holdout gets which kind of puts the power in terms of the teams where they basically just say, we're going to wait this out because we know that we have more leverage. And the Jimmy Butler forced his own leverage by essentially embarrassing the team, but he went full guns blazing mode. Ben Simmons isn't going to do that. He's not that kind of guy. So Ben Simmons is going to be a 76er for a while. And they say trade talks won't really heat up until December. So yeah, you're kind of stuck. If Wolves fans, if you're hoping for Ben Simmons to come, it's not going to happen anytime soon. You better hope it's a Christmas gift at this point. But the thing is, and maybe it's just because I'm not a Simmons guy, but why have we been so infatuated with Ben Simmons and act like he's the only guy that's going to make this team better if the Timberwolves trade for him? Like he, Without him, the whole thing just falls apart, and this team will never become good unless Ben Simmons shows up. I think Ben Simmons could be a nice player. He's very talented. He can do a lot on defense. But I don't think he makes the Wolves title contenders. I don't think that they even get close to being title contenders unless Ant becomes a once-in-a-generational talent that lifts the Wolves' play, you know. So I, I don't think that that's going to happen. But the Wolves still can get other pieces for less resources and still try and be competitive and at least get them in that competitive window to where Minnesota is a more appealing place to go and a more appealing destination to try and fix everything um, is Miles Turner. Evan Turner, I should say. Evan Turner. The, keep in mind now, or Miles Turner, sorry, Miles Turner. I had a wrote down in my notes as Evan, but I knew that that was Miles. Uh, Miles Turner, uh, he's been a pretty productive basketball player. The Wolves have shown interest in him before. Now, granted, now with Gupta in and Rosas out and all that kind of stuff, how does this, how does this change? But, 
Turner is still a guy that's very productive. Miles Turner is. Uh, obviously, he's with the uh, Pacers right now. But, I mean, this is a guy who, defensive effort, he's got it. He is a two-time block champion. He, you know, when you look at the course of his career, he's 47% from the field, 33.5% from three. You know, good on his free throw, all that kind of stuff. He's been a guy who's been very very productive this season. He's been a guy who's been very productive the last few seasons. And that's the thing is, I don't know why we pigeonhole ourselves and box ourselves into this corner or like it has to be Ben Simmons. No, the Wolves had other options before. Remember there was John Collins and then there was Miles Turner and all this. We pigeonholed ourselves in on Simmons because all the drama heated up. I would much rather have Miles Turner. It's much less of a boom or bust aspect than it is for Ben Simmons. And that's the thing with Ben Simmons is that it is a boom or bust situation. You essentially have until his contract is up to try or less to try and convince him that Minnesota is an appealing enough destination to either want to stay long term or to at least finish out your deal and do something with. And I don't know if he wants to do that. I think Turner would be more likely. It's not a big uh, not a big shot, but it's more likely than uh it's more likely than Ben Simmons because with Ben Simmons, he knows he's going to get paid on the open market more than uh, Miles Turner would. But anyways, uh, the whole thing with the Ben Simmons is I don't know why we're so infatuated with him. He's a guy that his shot's broken. He's kind of broken as a player, at least when you get into the big-time moments. Now, it's not to say that he can't propel the Wolves and help get them into the playoffs and they try and make noise from there. That could very well happen. I'm just saying if you're banking on Simmons figuring everything out, coming to Minnesota, I, it's possible. I don't think it's likely. And I think a guy like Miles Turner, who's more stable, he has a lower ceiling, but he's got a higher floor, and he's more stable. And I think that's something the Wolves can, should consider. He'd also cost less in terms of draft picks. Simmons is probably three first-round picks. Miles Turner, two first-round picks and some players. Not three first-round picks and some players like Simmons would be. Plus, the Pacers aren't in as much of a competitive win-now mode as the 76ers. And wouldn't be as uh they wouldn't be as well we need to get pieces x y and z and we need to get all this and that and this and that the Pacers are more willing to play ball and also not in an east coast market where everything is hyper scrutinized indiana i think would be a better trade partner to pull off anyways but then again gupta has connections with daryl morey in philadelphia it's all kind of interesting to see how this plays out but again i think simmons stays in philadelphia and if he gets traded i really don't think it's going to be the wolves and I don't know how, I mean, the Wolves will be better with Simmons, but I don't know how much better. It's a whole thing you got to figure out. So that's the situation going on with the Timberwolves. I think Miles Turner would be a much better situation than Ben Simmons. I think the Wolves could do more with that. And I think it gives, because of the offensive ability of Turner compared to Simmons, or at least the more consistent offensive ability, I think it gives Chris Finch more opportunity to do stuff. And I still think you get the same level of defensive intensity, intensity added to your team with Miles Turner. All right, that's going to do it here for us on the Minnesota Sports Podcast for today. Stick around for tomorrow because we have some more stuff to talk about, including the Gophers matchup between the Nebraska Cornhuskers. We're going to break it all down tomorrow along with our Twins, Vikings, and other news. The Wilds start the season tomorrow night as well. We'll talk a little bit about that. This is the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.